Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. And um, last week we started looking at this psalm and just kind of what it uh, teaches us um, as far as uh, about salvation and how we need to be thanking God uh, for our salvation. And uh, this psalm, uh, Psalm 118, falls in line with a group of other psalms, uh, particularly six psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, and it's known as the Egyptian Hallel, and uh, that spelling is H-A-L-L-E-L, and it's, they name it that because the, the, the phrase Hallelujah is often found uh, through these psalms, and so they've nick, nicknamed it the Egyptian Hallel, but also uh, it's known as the Egyptian Hallel because these six psalms recount Israel and their bondage to Egypt and how God saved them out of Egypt and how uh, he worked in their lives. And so these psalms were frequently sung at uh, festive times of worship. Uh, most notably, they were sung during the Passover. And uh, I believe these were uh, psalms that Jesus sang uh, when he instituted the Lord's Supper. It says after that uh, they ate, uh, they sang a hymn and then went out to the Mount of Olives. And I believe that they uh, sang these psalms. Uh, these psalms really have a, a really rich background to them because not only did they retell Israel's deliverance, and salvation, but they were a major part of worship in their lives. And when we look at these psalms, um, particularly here in Psalm 118, it has a salvation theme. In fact, you find that word salvation mentioned several times, and the word save mentioned um, uh, throughout Psalm 118. And we should be giving thanks to God for our salvation. I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, were you the one that saved yourself? I mean, did anybody in here contribute anything to their salvation? No. <laughs> it was all an act of God. God did it, right? Um, God intervened in our life, uh, drew us to himself, uh, gave us the faith to believe, gave us the grace, as what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, and he saved us. And so it's thanking God for his salvation. And as we looked at last week, uh, we saw the psalmist here. He, he, he tells the people to give thanks to the Lord because he is good, for his everlasting kindness endures forever. And in fact, you find that phrase, that everlasting kindness, his everlasting love enduring forever. It's repeated four times throughout this psalm. And so if you can kind of look at that, that's, that's like the backdrop of this psalm, right? The fact that... God's everlasting love endures forever. Why has God saved us? Because his everlasting love has endured forever. Why has God saved us? Because he is good. And uh, so the psalmist calls us to be thanking God for that. And if you can remember last week, that psalmist, he was in this, this place of distress, right? Like um, he, he talks about how, how distressed he was and, and how... Um, he, he called out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. 
Um, and then he talked about the fact of taking refuge in the Lord. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Uh, man, although may have a lot of, of, of things and things at their disposal, will always fail us. Always. Uh, the only one that we should and ever trust in is God. And that's what the psalmist even says, right? It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And then he even says it again. He says it's, it's better to trust and take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes or governmental leaders. And so it's very important that, to remember that God is the one who's reliable. And we can trust God alone for salvation because he alone is the one that can save us. And so as we continue to look at this psalm in the next set of uh, verses that we're going to look at here, particularly uh, verses 10 uh, all the way through verse number 18, um, the psalmist is going to be praising God now and giving thanks for his salvation because God is his strength and his song. And in times of distress... Where do you find your strength? In times of distress, do you have any joy? Sad to say, but there's a lot of people, including Christians, that in times of distress, they look towards other things for strength. It could be friends. It could be uh, certain vices. Um, it could be all sorts of types of things. But they look towards other things for their strength. They look towards other things for joy, which does not last and it does not help. And the psalmist here recalls and helps us to remember that our strength, our joy, is to be found in the Lord because he is our salvation. And so for believers in Jesus Christ, our strength should be in God. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Thank God for salvation because he is your strength and song. Thank God for salvation because he is your strength and song. Let's take note here of some uh, verses here about why we should give thanks to the Lord for being our strength and song. Number one, because the Lord's name is powerful. Listen to what the psalmist writes here in verses 10 through 12. He says, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Remember where the psalmist was in his distress? Remember what he says here about the fact, out of my distress, I called on the Lord? He was in a, he was in a tight space. There was not a lot of movement that he could get around. And he was calling out to the Lord. He was under severe anxiety and emotional pain and stress. And he calls out to the Lord. The Lord answers him. And he tells us some more things about this distress that he's in. And he says, all nations surrounded me. Now, there are some that believe that the psalmist here was actually King David, and primarily because of verse number 10 here, because he talks about the nations that were surrounding him, that everybody was against him. All the nations were surrounding him. Now, whether that was King David or not, I can't really say for sure, 
because the psalmist never says that he is King David or it never says this is a psalm of David. But uh, verse number 10 seems to indicate that here a little bit. But he says that all the nations surrounded him. And he says that they surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. Boy, that's in a, a moment of distress, right? He's, he's in this tight spot he can't get out of. And then he says here, verse 12, they surrounded me like bees, just swarming him, coming upon him. Now, how many of you guys, maybe during the summertime, maybe uh, you need to go outside and do some form of fixing up around the house that could be replacing some shingles or uh, maybe fixing some things on the roof, and then, uh-oh, here comes all the wasp out, right? Start pounding, they come out. How many of you like being chased by wasp? Nobody in here? It's not great, right? Think of, think of the psalmist here. He's saying, they surrounded me like bees. They're just swarming around him. And uh, he's in a lot of this distress. I like this, verse number 13. He says, I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. James, let me borrow you just for a second, okay? Come on up here. Now imagine here, okay, let's just say James here is this psalmist, okay? Now James, let's just say that this was a cliff, okay? Now let's just say I'm going to be your enemy, and I'm going to be pushing you, so go ahead and turn around here. I'm not really going to push you off, but I want you to be doing everything you can to keep from falling off that cliff. Are you ready? Okay, but you better put your hands out. All right, you ready? Okay, here we go. Come on, you got to push back, push back, push back, right? He's saying, I was pushed hard. He says, I was almost about ready to fall, right? Have you ever been like that in a place in your life where you're being pushed to the edge and it seems like all it's going to take is just one little, one little bit more shove and you're done? That's what this psalmist is feeling like. Thanks, James. So he says, I was pushed to the edge, the ragged edge. I'm being pushed so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. And so he's giving us this more detail as his problem, and we see that he called out to the Lord. But you know what's amazing about this? Is how God reacts in this situation. Here he is, he's in his distress. Here he is, he's surrounded by enemies. Here he is, he's being pushed to the very edge. And he calls out to the Lord, but what does the Lord do? Poof! All your problems are gone. No, he doesn't do that. Notice when the psalmist prayed, God did not make his problems magically disappear. You see, when we trust in the Lord, our troubles do not always go away. As I said last week, God uses the difficulties to draw us closer to him, to teach us to trust him. The psalmist learned this lesson very well. Notice what we learned here from verses 10 through 12. You see, God does not make his problems go away. But what does he do? Look at this. Don't miss this. This is awesome. All, in the, all in the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. You see, God equips us with a very powerful name. He empowers us 
with his supernatural power to triumph over our enemies. And what is that? It's the name of the Lord. Remember David when he went out to go fight Goliath? What did he say? I come in the name of the Lord, right? You see, this is why we have to know who God is. We have to be digging into his word, applying what scripture says so we know God on a very personal basis. So that way when we are in times in distress and when we are in times where we're being pushed to the ragged edge, we can know that our God is for us. We can know that our God fights for us. That we can know in the name of the Lord, I can cut them off. And that's what this psalmist says. He, the Lord's name is very powerful. And when the psalmist is surrounded by enemies on all sides, swarming around him like bees, God didn't just airlift him out of the situation. He didn't go, uh, Roger that, uh, coming in, uh, flying around. No, he didn't do that. My wife and I started watching a, a series called Alone. I don't know if you've heard about this. These, uh, these 10, 10 or 12 guys, they get dropped off out in the middle of nowhere, and they're only allowed to take 10 things with them. And uh, they have to set up camp. They have to uh, be able to start a fire. And where they had dropped them off was, I think, out in Vancouver somewhere. So it's like really wet. All the wood is wet. These guys are having a hard time getting a fire started. There's bears and wolves and all this kind of stuff. They're not allowed to have a gun of any type, okay? So if anything, 10 things would be like a saw would count as one thing. Uh, a fire starter would count as another thing. A sleeping bag, that would be one thing. A, a tarp, that would be another thing, but you're only allowed 10 things. And whoever survives the longest wins. So like the very first night, there's like one guy, he's like, I didn't know there was going to be bears out here. So then he calls and, oh, they airlift him out of there, right? That's not what happens here. He's given a very powerful name, the name of the Lord, and he is able to cut them off. Three times he says so. The psalmist had to fight his own way out. I cut them off, I cut them off, and I cut them off. But see, he did not do it alone. God had equipped him with the most powerful weapon he could, the name of the Lord. Can I tell you, when we act in the name of the Lord, in God's name, with godly integrity, doing his will in order to glorify him, then we will know his power. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. That's what the psalmist says here. And we see that illustrated throughout this section. Did you know 16 times from verses 5 through 18, you know what phrase we find? The name of the Lord, 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 the name of the Lord. God is trying to get our attention of how powerful he really is. But see, we really don't know who God is because we do not spend time in his word knowing the God who created us, knowing the God who saved us. The psalmist says, in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. So we must be determined to tackle our crisis in a God-centered way. And if we try to do it in our way, we will be fighting only in our own strength because we're trusting in our own flesh. This psalmist didn't do that. He trusted in the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. And so if we fight God's battles, then we have the greatest power in the world, the name of the Lord to help us. 
And so if you're a believer in Jesus, we have the most powerful weapon to help us, the Lord himself. Ephesians chapter number 6 reminds us to be strong in the Lord and the power of whose might? His might. We are to put on the whole armor of God. His belt of truth. Why? Because he is truth. His breastplate of righteousness because the Lord is our righteousness. His shoes of the gospel of peace because he is our peace. His shield of faith because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. His helmet of salvation because the Lord is our salvation. His sword of the spirit, the word of God because Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. It's about having Jesus. The name of Jesus is very powerful. If you have Jesus, he is on your side. He is powerful. And those without Christ have no divine helper because you are not one of his children and you do not belong to him. And so the call for you, if you do not know Jesus, the call for you is to turn to Christ, to trust Christ, to believe in Christ. And he will be your divine helper. He will save you out of times of distress. And then you too can have the name of the Lord, which is very powerful. Here's the second thing. Why should we give thanks to the Lord as our strength and song? Because the Lord helps me. Look at verses 13 through 16 here. He says, I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly mighty things. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. In these verses here, the psalmist is remembering the strength of the Lord in the past. Remember this psalm is part of the Egyptian Hallel. It's recalling what God had done in the past of how he saved this nation out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. And he brought them out of Egypt and he saved them, parted the Red Sea, made them drink water out of a rock. This is what God has done. Verse number 14 is a direct quote here from Exodus chapter 15, verse number 2, where Moses celebrates the crossing of the Red Sea when God saved the people from the Egyptians. It's a fascinating story when you read about it, how God parts the Red, the Red Sea and the children of Israel cross over on dry ground. I mean, we're talking probably close to a million people crossing over the Red Sea on dry ground. And then here is uh, Pharaoh and his army. They're driving their chariots hard because they want to bring them back into bondage. And the children of Israel cross over. And then guess what? They're cro- the, 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 uh, uh, the Pharaoh and his army are going through the Red Sea as well. And God takes their chariot wheels off. And then brings the water in on them. Destroys them all. And here's Moses exalting God, thanking God for what he has done. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is a direct quote from what Moses sang uh, when that happened. All throughout the Old Testament, the Exodus is looked back to as the supreme example of God saving his people. You see, when you have relied on God 
to save you from your sin. He becomes your salvation. He becomes your strength in your song. I grew up very religious. I went to church. I said prayers at the dinner table with my family. I sang songs, religious songs. But it didn't mean anything. It was just religion. But there came a time in my life when I realized that I was lost without God, without hope, without Christ, and I needed to be saved. I realized that the penalty of my sin was I was going to be separated from God forever in the lake of fire because of my sin. And I turned to Jesus. I turned to Christ to save me. And Jesus became my salvation. Jesus became my strength. Jesus became my song. And that's how God saves us. He does not save us because we're religious. He does not save us because we're good. He does not save us because we do good things. He saves us solely based upon the merit of his son, Jesus Christ. And Moses here says, he has become my salvation. He has become my strength. He has become my song. Can you say that? Can you say that with absolute affirmation? The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. The psalmist knows that the Lord helped him. Notice what the psalmist writes in reference to the Lord being his strength and his song. There's a repeat three times here about the Lord's right hand. He says, the Lord's right hand does valiantly mighty things. The Lord's right hand exalts. It's lifted high. And the Lord's right hand does valiantly these mighty things. Why the right hand? You ever thought about that? Why the right hand? How many of you in here are right-handed? Okay, how many of you are left-handed? Just a few of you, okay. Did you know that when we look in Scripture, it talks about the Lord's hand. It makes reference to about his right hand. Why is that? Because the right hand is the dominant hand. It's the strong hand. So everybody in here that's left-handed, you're weak. <laughs> no, 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 okay? But in reference to God, it makes reference about his right hand, and it's strong, and it's mighty. How strong is the Lord's hand? Well, he's so strong that when the psalmist was being pushed about ready to fall, the Lord helped him. Isaiah 66, 2 says, For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. Psalm 19, 1, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Psalm 95, 5, it says, The sea is His, for it was He who made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are a potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. Did you know that these same hands that formed the universe, that created every living thing, you and me, are the very same hands that were nailed to a cross to showcase and display God's love for you. Why? Because he is good. Why? Because his everlasting love endures forever. The Lord helped him. Why should we sing about the Lord being our salvation, our strength, and our song? Because the Lord helps me. 
Notice verse 14 in particular. It says, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Take note of that phrase, he has become my salvation. He has become my Yeshua, my salvation. This is a hint of God giving to us Messiah. Remember I told you last week that this psalm is messianic in its meaning? meaning it, it tells about Jesus Christ. In fact, next week when we look about uh, the next set of verses, it's going to talk about the fact of the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's a direct reference to who Christ is. And so he says, Yeshua has become my salvation. By becoming incarnate, God came to indwell on this earth. He lived among us. John chapter 1, verse number 1 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. And so Yeshua has become our salvation. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a sinless life. He performed miracles. But the most amazing miracle of all was when Jesus took our sin upon himself and was crucified and died forever, proving that he was God by resurrecting from the dead three days later. All that come to him for salvation, the Bible says he will in no wise cast out. Notice in verse number 15 how the salvation affects others. He says, glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. Glad, joyful songs of salvation. Is Jesus a joyful song of salvation to you and your family? Think about that. Do you play church, or is church something a reality in your family's life when you go home? Glad songs of salvation are in the tents. Notice, are in the tents of the righteous. Glad songs of salvation. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly these mighty things. You see, when a person in their family experiences God's salvation, there is great joy in that home. Righteousness, which includes the fruit of the Spirit, is at the heart of a happy home life. Because God has done a work in their life. Has God transformed your life? Has God transformed your family's life? That's what this psalmist is saying. Great songs, glad songs are rejoicing because of what God has done in his life. The Lord who saved Israel from Pharaoh is the same Lord who helps this psalmist and us. Constantly throughout the Bible, and especially in the Psalms, we find godly people rehearsing the great ways God has rescued his people in the past. It's not because they were, are interested in academic history, but because they know that God's enduring love means that if he saved then, he will still save now. You know what the hope of this world is? It's not going to be in our politicians, because even the psalmist says that, right? It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. It's not going to be the concoctions of some man coming up and saying, I got all the answers, trust me. No. The hope of this world is Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's it. And we have to trust the Lord. We have to trust Jesus. 
And so when we are feeling helpless, then this is what we must do too. We must recall and remember what God has done in the past. He saved an entire nation out of the bondage of, Israel, out of, out of Egypt. Had them cross over the Red Sea. What has God done in your life? How has he worked in your life? You need to remember what God has done and how he has worked in your life. And you can recall those things. And this can help you in times of distress. Remember the God who saved you. Look back at what he has done in your life. Especially look back on what he did for his people in the Bible. Do you know that's what God's word is? It's a, it, it's, there's a lot of history here about people that God worked in their life. and I mean, just normal day-to-day people. Farmers and tax collectors and people that were of ill repute. God worked in their life miraculously. And we should recall those things. These things ought to be a source of great encouragement for us because God's covenant love endures for us today. Here's the third thing. The Lord has a plan for me. The Lord has a plan for me. Why should we give thanks to the Lord as our strength and song? Because the Lord has a plan for me. Do you know that the Lord has a plan for you? He does nothing by chance or by accident. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not just a, well, that just kind of happened type thing. No. God has a plan for you. Bible tells us even before, even before you were, uh, were formed in the womb, before you were knit together in the womb, God had a plan and a purpose for your life. God has preordained before the foundation of the world that you would know him through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, on the cross. Notice how confident the psalmist is in verse 17. I love this. I shall not die, but I shall live. Remember where he's at? He's in distress. All the nations were surrounding him on every side. He's being pushed to the ragged edge of his life. And he says, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. It was evidently bad enough in his life that he thought that he was going to die because why else would he say, I shall not die? He thought he was going to die, but he wasn't going to die. He says, I will live. The Lord did something wonderful and mighty in his life. It's not that he believes that he's immortal here, but that he believes his death will come about in God's time and not when his enemies would wish it. He was confident that his time had not yet come. And that's a good reminder, isn't it? That our lives and our deaths are part of God's sovereign plan. Jesus said this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Whoa, wait a minute. Are you telling me that God knows when the sparrows are going to die and it's planned when they are going to die? Yep. 
And you're more important than those sparrows that are sold for a penny. Jesus also told us, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? How much more than is the timing of our end in his hands? You see, we have nothing to fear from any enemy or disease because we will die no sooner or later than God's enduring love has already decreed. Scripture tells us that it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Everyone here has an appointment with death. The only way that you're going to ever escape that is if Jesus comes back today, okay? But all of us here have an appointment with death. It's already set. Remember what they say, there's only two sure things in life? What are they? Death and taxes. <laughs> now they're wanting to tax you on the income that uh, you haven't even made yet. Isn't that great? But your death is sure. It's already certain. It's already been preordained. There's nothing that you and I can ever do to change that or alter that. God already knows. And it's already set. So everyone here has an appointment with death. You will not die sooner or later than your appointed time. And the important thing is that you are prepared for it. Because after death, what comes? Judgment. The psalmist has his complete confidence and trust in the Lord as his salvation and was prepared even if he were to die. And so if you're not prepared to meet the Lord... And stand in judgment, God's call to you is for you to repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Take a look at verse number 18. Now, this is hard to understand and apply. I'm going to give you some adult theology here, okay? And this is hard, but I want you to grasp this and understand this. Look at verse number 18. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Now, this is the meat here. Why is the psalmist talking about the Lord's discipline here? I thought he was talking about being in distress. I thought he was talking about being surrounded by enemies. I thought he was talking about being pushed to the very ragged edge of his life. I thought we were talking about that he was, thought he was going to die. Why is he all of a sudden now going to be talking about discipline? the Lord disciplining him. Doesn't that seem a little out of place there? Doesn't it seem like maybe it should end a little bit differently? No. When we're talking about the psalmist's troubles, those, those fierce enemies that are coming against him, those that are pushing him to the ragged edge, that's what's on the surface here. But if we dig a little bit, bit deeper and listen to the psalmist's words here, the psalmist attributes it ultimately all of his distress, all of the difficulties that he's having to what? The Lord's discipline. I told you this is adult theology and this is a little hard to grasp and understand, but I want you to understand this. Notice the connection he makes. All the suffering that he has faced at the hands of his enemies was part of God's plan as well. Does anything get by God? No. Does anybody stop God's plans? Nope. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. It's all part of God's discipline at work in him for his good. 
There are things that happen in our lives, difficulties that we go through, trials that we face, times where it seems like we're being pushed to the ragged edge, times of distress. And sometimes we like to look around and we like to point fingers at everything and anything that, it, that we think is causing it. But you know what the Lord is doing? He's using all of that to draw us closer to Him, for us to trust Him, for us to sing the glad songs of salvation and joy and strength. And God is using this in the psalmist's life to help him do that. And he recognized that. And he says, the Lord has disciplined me severely. But he says, he has not given me over to death. John Calvin, commenting on this passage, had this to say. The main thing in adversity is to know that we are laid low by the hand of God. And that this is the way which he takes to prove our allegiance, to arouse us from our sluggishness, to crucify our old man, to purge us from our filthiness, to bring us into submission and subjection to God, and to excite us to meditate on the heavenly life. And so as we submit to God's loving hand of dis discipline, what does God do? Well, Hebrews 12, 11 says that he produces in us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Thank God for the distress. Thank God for the times when you are being pushed to the ragged edge. Is it, is it joyful? No. Is it, is it uncomfortable? Yes. But God is using it in your life to produce fruit of righteousness so that you can praise God and thank Him for what He is doing in your life. The psalmist here is showing his trust in God's plan and in His sovereignty that God is in control of everything. Now, if we didn't know that, that, that this thread of God's discipline was woven into the very fabric of God's eternal uh, plan, His love for us, His covenant love for us, it would be pretty hard to take, wouldn't it? If we didn't know that God had, has already planned to use difficulties in our life to help us grow and mature in Jesus Christ, Boy, when we're faced with sickness and when we're faced with death and when we're faced with difficult circumstances and distress, it'd be pretty hard, wouldn't it? You see, we got to get out of our mind this idea that some people have this thinking that God is only these things and they create this, this separate God that does not line up with the God of the Bible. And they say, well, God would never do that. God would never do that. God would never allow that. God would never permit that. But here it is in the psalmist's own life. He says, I'm in distress. The nations are surrounding me. They're swarming me like bees. I'm surrounded on every side. I'm being pushed to the very ragged edge of life. I'm about ready to fall off. But it's the Lord that disciplined me. Remember even the life of Joseph? Here he is thrown into a pit. He's in the pit, gets sold into slavery. There he is in slavery. He's in Potiphar's house. He gets lied about, gets falsely accused. He gets thrown into prison. While he's in prison, he gets forgotten about. And then finally, finally, after years and years and years, from the age of 17 to now he's probably about 50 years old, finally he gets 
lifted up to being second in command of all of Egypt. His brothers come back to buy some food because there's a giant famine going on in the land of Egypt. And finally, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. How could he say that? Because he understood God's plan of sovereignty in his own life. So in those times of difficulty and times of distress, remember that the Lord has a plan for you. Philippians 2.13 reminds us, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Godly people do suffer, but only because God in his enduring love has something even better planned. It's always for our good and his glory that God does these things. And that's what we need to cling on to whenever our our circumstances are. Whatever they may be, distress, difficulty, trials, God has a plan for us and it's a glorious plan even when it doesn't particularly look like it. The theologian John Calvin also makes this observation about God's plans, and he says this, God does not prolong the lives of his people that they may pamper themselves with meat and drink, sleep as much as they please, and enjoy every temporal blessing, but to magnify him for his benefits, which he is daily heaping upon them. God is doing something in our lives, and it's for his good. It's for his glory. God is at work. And so proclaim what the Lord has done. If God has helped you, tell people about it. That's what this psalmist does. And what a great encouragement for other Christians as well to hear how God is at work in their life, how God is working in their life, what God has done in their life, what God is doing in their life. Um, and it's a great witness to those that do not even know the Lord yet. So be thankful for your salvation because he is your strength and your song. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.